Hi, my name is Ray Schneider, and you're listening to the Rarely Right Podcast. Now, where the Rarely Right Podcast name came from is that it's not about being right or being perfect in life. In fact, we're rarely right, but it's about being an active participant in our own stories, taking back the pen that somebody else took from us and beginning to craft our story in a way that creates positive energy and momentum forward. Now, I've been a counselor for the last eight years, and one of the greatest joys in my life is when I've been able to watch one of my clients have a breakthrough, when I've been able to see the light click on for them, and they realize, oh, I can do this because I'm already doing it. Welcome. So if you're running into this podcast for the very first time, Super excited that you're here. Thanks so much for coming, for being here. I hope that you find some kind of nugget of truth inside of it that you can chew on or fight against or it loves on you in the right way and you can walk away feeling somehow empowered um, in your life and in your story. And if you're coming back uh, as, a, as a listener from before, I want to say thank you too. I know that it's it's been... Um, several months since the last time I posted, and I want to thank you uh, for your patience and also for coming back and visiting. So I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever done this or experienced this. I I, I question um, if you said no, I would question that maybe that's not true. But but walk with me here a second. When when you're waiting on something, when you're being patient for something, when you're waiting for something to happen, or you're hoping for the right timing, or maybe it's a relationship that you have to to slowly grow over time, that once you get to the place that you've always wanted, once you finally can hold on to that thing that you've been, you know, rightfully so romanticizing over time, often we find ourselves frozen and nervous about, I don't want to say the consequences, but I mean, Maybe it's the ramifications, but in a positive way of those next connections. Now that I've got this thing, now that I'm right here, it's almost so full and so powerful that you're nervous to take that next step. You're nervous to actually embark on it. It's, it's why there's so much pressure around that first kiss. You know, Maybe your first, first kiss ever in life, but your first kiss with that person that you're super excited about, maybe that you waited on or when you've been working so hard and going through college and grad school or medical school and you finally get to the cusp and you're starting your first job and you're frozen on the steps of of walking into the building or you're frozen on the steps after the date thinking about that first kiss, there's so much pressure. You don't want to mess it up. This may be a this may feel like an exaggerated example to you, but to me, that's where I've been sitting um, over the last few weeks about starting the podcast back up is I had loved doing it so much that when I needed to take a break um, for my own just mental health and where I was going through, I felt like I had to be back in this perfect space in this perfect place for me to even have the audacity of of trying to start that again. And so I've been stuck um, on that front step trying to decide how to push or move forward. 
in parallel to that, I've been feeling the same way about going back to counseling. And I don't mean being the patient and having a counselor. I've actually been very, very fortunate to to have that experience and will continue to have that experience um, for my sake. But uh, to go back into the seat of, as a counselor and to share back. And I thought, if I'm willing to, to sit down and have FaceTime with someone, I should be able to sit down and re-record and, and share out maybe some things that I've been learning as I've been going through my own um, new chapter in, in my life and in my story that, that had to be written. Um, I think sometimes we, we are lucky enough to write something and sometimes we're forced into writing something. And um, I don't know, I think mine was in between a little bit, but it had to be written. It, it The pen had to be picked up and, it, and I had to, to start something new. Um, all that to be said, I'm back or I'm trying to be, and I'm really interested in this um, topic that I think touches on, on different things that I've talked about before, because I think everything is, is probably always touching each other when it comes to the, the human psyche and, and human emotions and just human connectedness. And that is this idea of community obligation. And then let me first start by saying that I think community obligation and, and community service are, are two radically different things, mainly because, you know, second word of both of those are different, but I don't think we categorize them as different. And so I'm going to keep pushing back on that. Um, community service is an act of volunteering in a place where you can give back, right? It's um, doing free counseling. It's working in a soup kitchen. It's cutting hair on the days that you don't have to cut hair for the homeless people. It's making sandwiches and passing them out. It's donating coats in the middle of the night on the coldest night of the year. It's uh, tutoring for free after teaching all day. Like it's, it's community service. It's an act of service that we willingly give without obligation. And it's amazing. And I think that uh, there's a lot of really bad things happening, um, at least in the United States. I can't speak for other countries as well. I'm not as well-versed, but in the United States has a lot of really selfish, tainted, ugly things happening in the world. Um, but in parallel, there are really truly beautiful things happening in the world. And I think that a, a number of those things are our volunteership. So that's community service, right? Community obligation is things that we do for those around that we feel required have to be done. <laughs> and I don't mean our jobs. I don't mean being a parent, whether that's a child or or fur baby, because I fur babies are just as, okay, maybe not just as much work, but they are a lot of work. They are not easy. So I don't mean things that we have to do, literally, like being a parent or, or going to work or paying our bills. I mean the things that we have perceived have to happen in order to be accepted in, into a community. And I was just talking about this, speaking of counseling and things like that, I was just having a conversation where we were talking about the roles in which we put on ourselves, right? That, oh, I have to be this specific person for this person, or I have to be this role in this group. And we begin to put on all of these different, maybe uniforms or costumes or masks for each of the different interactions that we have. And we grow into this warped reality of who 
we're supposed to be that we've untethered from who we are, that we bounce so often into these costume changes that we don't take the time to just authentically live. And so we fail to serve our community because we've failed to serve self. And it's really, it's, it's bugging me on a very deep level, not just as like a, a professional counselor or a friend seeing it happen, but as someone who's coming out of the trauma of getting lost in the costume changes and going, how can we actively fight against this? Because when I was able to start coming out of my own self-deprecating cloud that I was inside of, what I began to realize was this service obligation or community obligation that I was stuck inside of I began to notice that I was bumping up against shoulders of all of these friends who were living in the exact same obligations, even in a group that I was in with them that I hadn't put on them. And it's like, it's kind of like the glass shattered a little bit, like, like an aha moment where I realized that I wasn't alone. Like, I think sometimes when we get into that space of of depression and anxiety and lack of self-understanding and self-care, that we we become very isolated. And it's not, I'm not going to blame people for doing that because I think it's very natural to to really wrap ourselves up and, and kind of hold on to ourselves. It's why the fetal position is so powerful when things get so overwhelming to be able to hold on to self, we do that to protect ourselves as well, right? Like we cover up the most vulnerable parts of us, the middle, um, you know, obviously in a, in a physical sense, we do that for our stomach, but in an emotional sense, we do that for our heart and our spirit. And we go into that metaphorical fetal position. And so I'm not blaming anyone for, for that isolation. And I'm certainly getting to a point where I've stopped blaming myself as best I can. But when I came out of that, bubble or that cloud or that fetal position, I realized that so many people around me that I truly love and care for were living the same role. It's as as, as if we were all these cast of characters in our relationships that no one had asked us to play. And I started doing this in, in my own life and I'm, I can't tell you if I'm doing it well or not. I'm just doing the best that I can to begin to remove the costumes one by one as I identify them. I don't think you can immediately go, oh, all of these things, false. These are true. These are false. I think you have to take a courageous step outside of yourself and say, I'm willing to find out what's what. <laughs> and I don't know if mine's courageous yet or if it was like, it just had to be done, like that story had to be written. But I want to challenge all of us to be looking at our closet, in a sense, right? Our costumes and our masks, in a sense, to say, what am I doing because I feel I'm obligated to do? How? When am I acting because I feel like I'm obligated to act that way? And when am I doing it 
because it's actually who I am or who I want to be. And I think that that also needs to have, so like, let's put a pin in the community obligation so that we can go over to self-obligation and self-service because I think we also confuse who I want to be and who other and who I want others to think I am. Right? There is a radical difference between who I want to be and who I want others to think I am. Because one of them is reality and one of them is perception and not in your control. Who I want to be is something we can actively take steps towards. It's a healthy thing to look at, to think about every single day, to center our relationships on, uh, our life's work on, our careers on, our jobs on, our heartbeats on. That is something so powerful. And it gets so quickly warped by who I want others to believe I am or who I want others to think I am or see me as. Because you are blinded by a false hope that you can control how someone else sees you. I'm not saying go be an asshole and go, "Eh, I can't fix how people are going to see me, right? Because it should matter who you want to be. But we have to let go of how others are going to see us as we actively work our way to being who we want to be. And I think that that is a life journey. I don't think we plateau. I don't think we stop. I don't think we hit a finish line until our last breath. And so I I hope for myself and I hope for you that that is multiple decades more of active learning. But to be able to truly chase after that and to live inside that active learning, we have to begin to relinquish control of our desire to have people perceive us how we want to be perceived. People are going to see you how they want to see you regardless of your actions. So the best thing that you can do, and I am learning this, I'm telling you this not as a person going, (laughs) flip hair back, I've got this. I'm telling you this as a person who daily has to remind herself this is the truth right now in her life. People will see you how they want to see you, period. Not comma, not dot, 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 period. You can do everything right and people are going to see you how they want to see you. You can do everything wrong and they're still going to see you how they want to see you. You don't control that. What you do control is an active pursuit of self-care. What you do control is an active pursuit of self love, what you do control is an active pursuit of happiness and wholeness and you getting to define that. You can't control how they see you. You can want to. That's, I feel human, but you can't control it and you can't live life in a cycle of what ifs around that. And that takes me back to this community obligation that we live inside of. Not community service, 
not roles that we should play, like parent and lover and friend and all of that. I mean the stuff that we circle around it when we have to act and speak and do things in a certain way because we believe we have to morph into these different roles. And we get so caught up in being all of these different roles, again, and I repeat myself on purpose, that we untether from the reality of who we actually are and who we actually want to be. You don't have to be a superhero in everyone else's lives. I am I am a recovering superhero wannabe. I often still try to put the cape on and then have to rip it back off because it's me and me alone who's putting that pressure on myself. It's me and my thoughts of, well, what will they think of me if I don't do this? And what will that person think of me if I don't do that? And what if I fail? And what if I go out and journey this way and it's a complete blowout, then everyone dislikes me or hates me because already, and now I failed. Or on the flip side, what if I go out and I do this thing and I succeed? It, it's just this, it's just this awful, ugly, very, very painful cycle. And I think that we've convinced ourselves that it's how it's supposed to be or how it has to be. And honestly, I don't blame our parents. Our parents are pretty rad people. You know, I think that the, I think, I think the role of a parent is to do just a little bit better than their parents did, right? To correct the things that they, that they did in their life and do the very best you can. And I, what's really interesting to me, and I don't know if it's interesting to everyone else is, is when you become an adult, and you realize that your parents are slightly flawed, wounded people doing the, the best they can. And it, I think you can take it one of two ways. You can either like go, oh, well, now I need to be in therapy for it, which may be the case. Uh, or you can also be like, wow, that, that frees me up to realize that the person I thought was a superhero my whole life isn't. And now I don't have to be either. Right. Like I have the freedom to be this flawed person. But I digress to say that I think in the generation in which I was raised, and so maybe in the generation in which you were raised, self uh, community service was always something really strongly instilled. You know, giving back, giving of yourself, uh, the golden rule in, in acts of service. And I love that. I, I believe in the core of who I am, uh, the best parts of me are the parts who learn from that that you're not greater than everyone around you, but you're equal. And, and in the moments that you have more, give to those who have less. I, I, I am so grateful for that core of who I am. But I think that it also, as a generation, went sideways. It went quite extreme. And I think it's also because the, the generation before us, our parents um, you know, struggled and suffered and, and, and their parents struggled and suffered, right? There was the Depression, there was the World War II, and there was, you know the painful things that happened through Vietnam. And and I think that it just kept getting handed up that like, you have to give back, you have to give back just like the generation before you. And now we look at the millennial generation and we're giving them so much shit. It's outrageous. And if we actually took a step back, I, 
I genuinely believe that the reason we are giving them so much shit about being self-aware, about not like bonding or binding themselves to an organization because that's how it always was, but to really go out there and make sure that they're in the career that they want and they're attached to a community that they want and they're attached to a company that they want to work for. I think we're giving them so much shit because it's stirring up fear and shame in those of us who haven't acted that way in the past. I think it's stirring up stuff inside us where we have been self-deprecating and we have been community obligated for so long that when someone else is self-obligating instead, when someone else is saying, listen, I want to give back and I, it matters who I'm connected to and it matters what I do with my life and it matters how politics work and it matters dot, 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 that it's freaking out that those of us who want to say it's mattered, but we have literally nailed ourselves to this community obligation for lack of a better word, cross, where is ours to bear and we don't know how to begin to pull ourselves off of that sacrifice and begin to heal. I was in a, a, a meeting the other day where someone was talking about that, where they were shaming millennials. They're like, well, we just can't keep them satisfied. We constantly have to be thinking of new ways to keep them in organizations. Um, we're always having to refresh what we're doing. And they were so upset by it. They were so disgusted by it. And I was thinking, what if we took two steps back and we were like, how amazing is that? How exciting is that? That we are being challenged to constantly be aware of what we're putting into our organization. That we have to be constantly aware of how we're treating our employees. That we have to be constantly aware of how we're creating a community within the organization that we're building. But instead, because I think it was bringing up fear and it was bringing up maybe shame that we hadn't done it in the past, there's this defensive thing that comes out and happens, right? Like when you scare an animal and they immediately jump at you with teeth because they don't know what's happening and you aren't communicating on the same language, right? They don't necessarily understand English or Spanish or German, they understand animal sounds and their sounds. And so you can't communicate except for cat's hairs to go up or a dog to just nip a little or bite a little or bark a little because you're not speaking the same language. I think that's the same thing when one person is tethered to the idea that they are stuck in a community obligation and roles that they didn't necessarily want to play. And the other person is saying, no, I'm self-obligated and I'm going to make sure that I'm caring for myself. I think they're speaking two different languages and what's happening is defenses are, are bouncing back and forth. Why am I bringing all of this up? Well, one, I really love run on thoughts. Um, if you're new to the podcast, then that might be surprising to you. If you're not, then you're just like rolling with me here. But two, I think it's a conversation that we need to have with ourselves. Where am I spending my energy and my time? And I don't just mean like your physical energy. I don't mean in just in, and these are very important, in in our workspaces and in the communities in which we're growing and in the relationships, both friendship and intimate and and, and things like that. I also mean like the energy that we pour into our thoughts and our emotions. We don't talk about that enough. We talk about energy um, as a as a contractual thing with other people, but the energy that you spend as a contractual thing with yourself is so insanely important. 
because we all do it. We all lay in bed at night or in the morning or in the middle of a work day or on a run or during a lift or during a sports event or wherever you find yourself using your brain. And we get stuck inside these transactional events, right? Where we're like worried about something. And so we churn and we churn and we churn and we churn and we churn. Or we think about what ifs and we churn and we churn and we churn and we churn and we churn. Or we freak out about something that's never happened and we churn and we churn and we churn. Or we go over in our mind something we said that we could have said better and we churn and we churn and we churn. I think if we began to spend more time identifying where things are filling us and where things are draining us, we would be more balanced people. And I think if we were to spend more time deciding where we're wearing a uniform or a cape or a mask because we projected that someone wanted us to and we're wearing it because it's who we truly actually want to be or we're working on becoming, I think we'd be happier people. That's at least what I'm learning is I'm having to consistently go through my emotional wardrobe or my rural rural wardrobe. That was hard to say. Role wardrobe and deciding, am I playing this part or do I actively want to live this part? Am I playing this role because I feel like I have to in, in this room full of people or in this emotional state or in this place? Am I doing this because I feel like I have to, because I'm trying to control how other people see me? Or am I doing it because I, I genuinely want to be this person? That the activities in which I'm doing and the conversations in which I'm having and the life in which I'm living is actually creating something better for me. Not always joy. Sometimes the things that we're doing is really, really freaking hard, right? But is it creating the life in which I want to live? And I want to lead. Not how I want people to see me, because I can't control that. And that's actually a waste of energy, but, but how I want to live and be. This is something that I'm living inside of right now. And that's why I thought it'd be a, a good comeback, quote unquote, comeback podcast, because I don't have an answer for you. This is, there's no really lovely ribbon at the end of this, which is almost always the case, I think, with really thoughtful, healthy um, discussions like this is you, you can't give someone an answer. Right? They have to be able to live inside their questions until they come into that answer and really find fruit from that. But I think that everyone can be challenged in this space. Some of us, some of us more than others. I, there are lots of different kinds of depression and there are lots of different kinds of anxiety. And everyone, everyone comes to that place when they or if they come to that place for different reasons. But at a core part of almost all of them is this is this inability to see worth in themselves. And I think that sometimes unworthiness and self-doubt and even self-hatred comes from a place of being disconnected from self-care and self-obligation. I think that we often get so confused by all the different 
roles and masks that we're wearing. But we get lonely because the real us got lost in the shuffle. And we get we begin to get confused in this cast of characters in this one man show. I don't know which one I am. And I don't know who I am. There's a variety of different levels of that and degrees of that and places in which you have to maybe fall to get yourself out of it or or what have you. I know mine personally was quite extreme, but I really want to challenge you to start looking at that role wardrobe. It's really hard to say. Try saying it like six times. If you can say it six times really easily, I mean, don't tell me because it'll be embarrassing. But if you can't, perfect, great. I feel better about myself. Who are you? It's okay if you don't know the answer. That's, that's the other beauty. You don't have to know the answer. But if you don't know the answer, what active steps can you do to work towards that? And who do you want to be? And if you don't know the answer, oh, so awesome. You can now take active steps towards that. Because when we know who we want to become, when we have an idea of who we are, that also enriches our relationships and our connections, right? Because then we know where we should be spending that emotional energy. And how much more rich it is when we have the energy to give. When we wear ourselves out, playing all these different roles, we have nothing left. We're empty, kaput. And we don't have any time to pour into the places that are actually going to love on us and enrich our lives. We have to free ourselves up to feel free. You deserve connection. We, I think we've, we've talked about that in other podcasts and I hope that someone has told you that once in your life and if they haven't, like, hear me out now. You deserve real, authentic, beautiful, thoughtful connection. Fulfilling connection. Not connection because you're playing a role that you don't have to play. Not attention because you're wearing the costume you think that you have to wear but because you're being authentically yourself and you're being seen and loved and cared for as that person. The number one obligation you have in life is yourself. You have to put the oxygen mask on first in order to help others breathe. And when we can actually breathe in air for ourselves, when we can actually free ourselves up to be a whole version of us, I think that's when life really begins to get powerful and impactful and interesting. That's that's my food for the thought. Food for the thought. That's my food for thought today. I uh, I hope to talk to you guys soon.